Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. From caricatures to illustrations, music and educational videos for children, we talk with the very talented Hebron artist Bill Dougal about his amazing work and how technology has changed the art space. And we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. There are many creative people out there in the world who can sing, act, write and create beautiful art. Bill Dougal is one of those people. He's a multi-talented artist who turns his hand from creating lifelike caricatures of people to illustrations and if that's not enough, he also creates music and videos to help educate and entertain children. I visited him at his home studio in Hebron to find out more. Bill, thanks for inviting us. We're in your amazing studio, which is just chock full of all manner of books and your art and computer as well, because, of course, you know, times have changed. Before we get into, you know, what it is that you do, and you do an amazing amount of things, how long have you been an artist? All my life, professionally, 40 years, I would guess. And you're originally from Connecticut. And, and so, like, what, what got you into your, your art, in particular, like the, the caricatures? Because that's a very specific thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. I know a lot of artists, but not many do caricatures. They don't want to put themselves on the spot to do a, a likeness in, in front of a client in four minutes. Why did I get into it? Well, I was serious about art since I was a little kid. My father helped me and grew up out in the woods, so I was always out drawing nature. I grew up on a state park believe it or not. So in the winter, there was nobody around. And then in the summer, there was campers and picnickers all over. I would go into the woods and draw nature, or I would go through the picnic area and ask people if I could draw their pictures. Cartooning and portraits were always one of my favorite things. Not during art school, but after art school, I decided to put them together. Now, caricatures are amazing pieces of art, because like you said, they're done very quickly. Tell us a little bit of the process that you go through. You know, what are you looking for in, a, you know, in somebody when you do their caricature? And where do you actually start on the page? You start with the eyes or, you know, just tell us a little bit about the process, if you don't mind, because it is fascinating watching somebody like yourself when you do this, because like I said, they're done at speed. Yes, most are done fast, but that fast isn't really a important factor. There's there's some caricaturists that do caricature illustrations and will spend a week on them. I heard Hirschfeld spent a week on his, which would surprise people because there's only a few lines in it, but he refined them and redrew them. I think the first step is not drawing at all, but looking, observing carefully and really figuring out what's going on in that face. And I usually compare any face that I want to draw to a uh, template of a typical portioned face that's in my mind. So I know that the eyes are typically halfway down. So if I see somebody's eyes that are a little higher, I draw them even a little higher to exaggerate that spatial difference. 
And then what other sort of like caricatures or, or characteristics, I should say, rather not caricatures, the characteristics of people's faces sort of like then, you know, do you pull out, you mentioned obviously about the eyes, I mean, sort of teeth. I mean, what, what other things are like draw you? Can it just be really anything at the end of the day, you know, based on, you know, what it is that you're observing and not necessarily what obviously that person thinks of themselves? Because, of course, we all think that we're perfect, of course. I've got to try to find the salient features, the ones that are that stand out and make them a little less typical than Mr. Typical. People think caricature is just, uh, oh, drawing somebody with a big nose. But no, it's not all about nose. It's it's not even all about one feature. There's there's just There's only about half a dozen features on a face, but the combinations of size, shape, and position are uh, limitless. I was going to say, because it is actually complex, because it still has to look like the person at the end of the process. And you've done one of me... And yes, of course, I could see myself in there. And it was really interesting to see what you pulled out of me because I just sent you a photograph and came back this amazing caricature of me. They're great personal gifts, aren't they? Because you can't get anything more personal than your portrait, really, can you? Right. It's personalized and you're the person and I'm the person that can draw you, as is my wife. My wife does caricatures as well. And uh, some caricatures are very realistic and some are very, very wild and distorted. Ours are in between. What sort of feedback do you get from people? Because it's because it's such a personal thing. You know, I'm sure you've got, uh, you know, you get feedback from people. What sorts of things do they say? Are they often surprised at how you've seen them? Yeah, they are. Often they, they laugh and they say, wow, and, and they show their friends. Very occasionally they'll say, is that me? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know, people ha have a image of themselves that's not only based on the way they physically look at the time I'm looking at them, but uh, you know, memories of themselves and, and some sort of vague things that aren't really the pictures of, of themselves. And what about the technology as well? Because, of course, we're still coming out of a pandemic. Being able to draw somebody is a very personal thing. And I'm sure most of the time it would have been done in person by you with that with that individual. How did COVID affect things? And then how did you use technology to adapt that? Because you had to. Some artists actually draw digitally on a Wacom tablet that goes directly into the computer. But we don't do that. We draw by hand. But we do use technology to communicate with our clients. I'll do a, a rough drawing and scan it, email it, get feedback, make a change, do the final, send it back. But I can also operate sort of like a live caricaturist at an event on uh, Zoom virtually. I'm looking at the computer window with all the little Zoom boxes. I'll, I'll see somebody's face. I'll enlarge it and draw them in maybe about three minutes, three, four minutes. Then at the end of the session, I can scan them and send them back in fact, earlier this week, I did that for the Children's Hospital in Hartford. Children's Hospital staff were, actually went room to room with an iPad, and I was at home on my desktop. They'd show me a face. I would draw it. I would show the kids. I even had a second camera hooked up so the kids could see as I drew it, as well as my face. How much fun was that? Because I can see, as, we're, as I say, sat here in your studio talking, you have a pin on from the hospital as well. I mean, obviously, it means a lot to you. What, that, you know, what sort of reaction did you get from the kids? Because they must have found that fascinating. Yeah, they, they love it. They find it fascinating, as anybody would. But it, it means even more since they're in a, uh, a tough situation, sitting in a hospital room for, for weeks or, or months. Getting back to the whole Zoom thing, of course, we all feel so Zoomed out now after so like, you know, two odd years of, of COVID. But I mean, you're saying it's it's an interesting, obviously, different type of situation for you to, you know, to see the faces. And again, 
What sort of reaction have you got from people when you've done this this virtual caricaturing again? Because are they expecting to be able to see things so quickly? Yeah, people get a kick out of it, and the people that organize the meetings are impressed that I can do so many, fifteen to twenty in an hour, and it's almost more efficient on Zoom because. I don't have to wait for people to get get up and out of their chairs, and I just go from face to face. Interestingly, of course, you know we're talking about the the caricatures. We're going to get onto all the other stuff that you do as well, because you do an inordinate amount of other great artistic stuff. But before we get there, I wanted to talk to you about the fact that in 2019 you were actually awarded what was called the Arts Hero Award. Tell us about that and what did it mean to you? Yeah, the state of Connecticut picked me and another, uh, let's see, three or four artists and designated us Arts Heroes. I was surprised. I didn't feel like a hero. I don't save people from burning buildings. I could draw a picture of a burning building. I think they mainly focused on the uh, children's hospital thing. I'd been doing it for at least a couple dozen years. It was nice to get recognized. You're a very down-to-earth person, you know, as we sat here talking. I mean, inside, do you get excited about stuff? Because you're very cool and so, like, contemplated here, which is not a bad thing or, or criticism. But, I mean, you know, does it excite you after all these years still? you know, the, the work that you do, because it is creative and creative work is something which you know, people are always after and they always want to see what the, the latest and the newest thing is. I mean, does it still excite you? Oh, yeah. I'm very excited by every project, by every face in front of me to draw. I don't express it outwardly, perhaps, but I couldn't produce all the things I do if I wasn't excited. Like, I'll come up with a project. I've always got a project in mind, like all my... My, I've got half a dozen videos, half a dozen uh, musical recordings, half a dozen books that I wrote and illustrated, and each one of them uh, started with a concept, a little idea, and then I, I would build on it and build on it and adapt it, shape it up and finish it off. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that you do, because like we said, you do a, a huge range of different types of artistic and creative endeavours here. Illustrations, I mean, what's how how different is that? How different is the approach that you have to take when you, know, when you do illustrations as against you know caricatures? Because people are going to be out there, they won't know the difference, but thinking like, well, surely it's the same thing. No, an illustration is uh, done for hire, done for a client. Well, I guess a caricature is too, but an illustration is for a purpose of communication Sometimes communication combined with sales or education, and it's a, a picture that'll help know what's going on or get attention. I used to work at ad agencies, and an illustration can get attention more than a, most photographs because people know it's hand-done and it's got a little bit of a friendly feel to it. I think I have a knack for creating visual analogies that'll help communicate things. Once at an ad agency, we had to do a postcard for a auto body repair shop. We could have just drawn a guy uh, bending over the car, fixing it up, but we drew, we drew a car that had wings, you know, it was flying through the air. I say we because the creative director was behind the idea that the car would have wings, I think, I can't remember. So cars don't really have wings, but it gave the impression that it was a super, superhero, a really great car. And where do you get some of your inspiration or where do you get most of your inspiration? I mean, is it just, as you were saying, for the caricatures, it's, it's observation? I mean, just give us an insight into how Bill's brain works. Well, I don't just sort of sit there on Sunday and get, get an idea. Some artists do, and that's, that's cool. But I like to create my ideas based on a need, you know, whether it's somebody needing a, a logo or an illustration for a children's book. And even though I'm working to fill that need, I'm also doing it in my own way that'll please me and please them hopefully 
you mentioned earlier that you used to work for an ad agency. Clearly now, for a while now, you've been working for yourself. Do, yep. you, do you prefer that? I mean, you know, I mean, because there is pressure when you're working for an organisation to, you know, meet not necessarily just a, p- a particular standard, but, you know, the amount of work, etc. I mean, but also conversely, working on your own can be a little bit lonely as well. I mean, you know, how do you strike that balance? I like them both, but I prefer working on my own. And um, I've tailored my patchwork career, so there's a lot of variety. For instance, on uh, Thursday, I'm going to be drawing at the convention center for some conference. Wednesday, I'm going to be teaching art at a retirement home. Today, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, yesterday, I was uh, on a, a Zoom meeting with the Children's Book Association I joined. There's a lot of stuff going on in your life, isn't there? It's like yeah. it does beg the question where you find time to to get down and do do your art. Talk to us a little bit about you know the other stuff that you do. We've mentioned obviously the caricatures and the illustrations. You do video and you also you do music. Again, two very different mediums, acquiring certain skills. I mean, talk to us a little bit about the the videos. What have you done in the video arena, and how did you get involved in that? I've always liked to uh, when I get an idea, I want to develop it and finish it off. And I'm flexible enough to realize sometimes it's going to end up being a movie or a cartoon strip or, or, a, or a book. And I love the idea of uh, picking what medium I want to use. But I'm excited about the videos because that combines many of these videos. always have uh, some songs that I wrote and performed. And they have some uh, comedy uh, skits that I wrote. And they have artwork. And I found an editor that helps make my artwork move. They're not fully animated, but they've got movement, and they're, uh, they're very fun, and they're very educational. My favorite is called Hat Full of Fun, Cowboy Billy's Hat Full of Fun. That could be found on Amazon. It's a series of seven half-hour episodes, cowboy style, and the educational part is character values. I'm working on a similar project in that it's going to be an extended series, and it's all about art education. Yeah, we all love painting. Yeah, we all love painting. Pick some colors and mix them around. That's the best therapy I've found. Little kids, college kids, senior set. It's the best activity yet. That is incredible. That just came from, well, obviously it didn't come from nowhere. You've, you've written it and come up with it. But all of these things, like I said, you know, they take a, uh, the creativity. They take some, like, ideas to, to come up with this. Do you see some, like, video um, and music? Because not everybody, obviously not all artists of your calibre have got, you know, these skill sets. But how important is the video and music? You said you, you like doing it. I mean, do you see it now as a very important part of, of art as, you know, the world has become more and more digital and people want to look at things more rather than necessarily listen to things or like or read things i mean how important has that aspect become to you and has it been an easy transition yeah i think video is very exciting and important it's a great medium because it's so flexible i write it i storyboard it so i can really shape it i think it's a little more important or challenging than doing a caricature because it's very it's very complex you do a blog as well. I mean, that takes, uh, again, that's more of your time. Why did why did you want to do the blog? Because, I mean, again, it's filled with some fun stuff, but it's another aspect. It's, it's another amount of time that has to be taken by you, you know, in, in your day. But, you know, what do you get out of, the, out of doing that blog? I think a lot, and I have a lot to say, and I, I think I'm a good writer. I think I uh, learned some of my writing skills when I worked at the ad agencies. They were small ad agencies, and believe it or not, there's only like three, four people in them. 
believe it or not, I did some writing, even though I was the art guy. And I realized that you have to be concise and communicate and mix. It's sort of about pacing, just like with videos. You know, you've got to mix the uh, the quantity and the placement of the various ingredients. Out of everything that you do, and as we've uh, we've seen, there's a huge amount of things that that you actually do. What gives you the most joy, the most pleasure? What do you enjoy doing out of all of that? Maybe the most. I enjoy uh, coming up with the ideas and thinking of the options. I enjoy the the rough drawing stage of artwork better. I think it's the most important stage. I think finishing things is sort of easy. I think it's the formulative stages of any of these uh, forms that I do that's the most exciting. So if people are interested in obviously finding out more about you, just talk to us a little bit about how they can do that because you've got a, a website and there's other ways that they can obviously find out about you and also order artwork. So talk us through that. My website, dougalart.com. My name is Bill Dougal, D-O-U-G-A-L. A-R-T is what I do, dougalart.com. That's my main website. I have other websites. I've, I've got dougalvideo.com, which is a website showing my main productions. And dougalvideo.com is also my YouTube channel showing little short excerpts. That's a good place to go. And like I said, if anybody obviously wants to order any work, of course, they can go to to that website. And uh, and I believe you do anything from, you know, single illustrations to groups and, and everything in between. Is that correct? Yeah, the caricature options include single faces, doubles, groups, color, activity. At a live job, I'd probably do black and white heads for speed. And um, I also do house portraits, pen and ink, watercolor pictures, the style that I use for those is one that I've developed over the last two dozen years, illustrating every year for some guidebooks to areas of the state published by distinctive directories. The Farmington Valley book, the Glastonbury book, the Shoreline book, uh, the West Hartford book. Each of those has a dozen illustrations I did. Well, you certainly, as we said, do an amazing amount of stuff, and uh, we're very lucky that uh, you've invited us in to talk about the work that you do, and thank you, obviously, for your time. And uh, as we've said, people can go to dougalart.com to find out more about Bill Dougal, the artist, and we wish you many more years of, obviously, the incredible work that you do, and uh, more importantly, that uh, gets shared with the people out there and, obviously, the, the unique gifts that they can they can get for themselves. But Bill Dougal, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for being on Connecticut East this week. And thanks for taking the effort to come all the way from England to interview me. <laughs> Not at all. Thank you. And Bill's website again is dougalart, D-O-U-G-A-L-A-R-T.com, where you can find out about all of his services and even order online. <laughs> I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you prevent wildfires. Dude, I've got this. I've been camping since I was five years old. But I am a camping influencer. You know what? I'll bet you five bucks. Assistant Smokey, what is the best way to put out a campfire? To put out a campfire, drown with water, stir, drown again. Then make sure the fire is out cold by feeling with the back of your hand. Wait, really? I'll take the five bucks. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. The warmer weather is here, and it's time to give your plants some health care. From mulching to aeration to growth regulator, remedial and preventative treatments against fungus, as well as insects like the spotted lanternfly and gypsy moth. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. 
keep your trees and plants in tip-top condition to avoid long-term health problems. Find more details about plant health care services. Call 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently, sponsored by... Every number tells a story. A true story. Connecticut by the Numbers explores breakthroughs and challenges, issues, and answers. Behind the headlines, across the state, follow the numbers. Connecticut news that counts. CTNumbers.news. Two weeks after a cyber attack crippled computers belonging to the town and police force of Plainfield and the price to remedy the issue could cost more than $300,000. Kevin Cunningham is the first selectman of Plainfield and says they're taking all available actions open to them. To get cyberware up and running so we have the firewalls blocked off, so we have better support per computer. So yeah, there's a cost related to that. We've never had a full-time IT person. We're talking about doing that. So we can be a little bit more up on the times. Um, it's not a big town. It's, it's a town, though, that still needs to get up with the times, uh, as, as many towns do. Dr. Frederick Scholl is director of the cybersecurity program at Quinnipiac University. He says towns and small businesses in the state cannot afford to ignore their IT and cybersecurity and have to start spending more money to address it. Yes, it's a matter of money and it's a matter of really finding the right expertise that you need for your particular organization. It's out there, but it's sometimes hard to find. And, you know, just to mention our program, we are training more cybersecurity professionals to go out and work in Connecticut businesses to help identify resources and figure out how to protect assets. Cunningham says they are in negotiations with the bad actors who hijack their systems after seeking advice from the FBI. In the meantime, both the town council and the police are having to resort to doing more of their work manually the old-fashioned way with pen and paper until they are able to go back online. Opponents of the state peer redevelopment in New London have been speaking out after Governor Lamont visited the project recently to see how it's progressing. Steve Farrelly is the owner of Driven, which used to run a salt business at State Pier until it was forced to close and move by the Connecticut Port Authority. Farrelly says despite recent comments by Governor Lamont claiming he wants to keep small businesses like his in the state, he's prepared to test whether that's actually true. I think what I'm going to do is apply for a a grant or a loan, and I think the state, if he can back his words, will help me out with some financial aid. So we'll let you know how that goes in the future, but I think that will basically call him out and see if it's just, uh, you know, the campaign rumblings and get everybody on my side, or basically he's a man of his word. Farrelly has managed to remain in business in another part of the state, but says he has not recovered from the financial loss of having to move and is now encountering problems getting finance from traditional banking sources as well. And Kevin Blacker is a local business owner and longtime critic of the Connecticut Port Authority and the State Peer Project. Blacker says he believes the results of various ongoing state investigations into the project and of the Port Authority itself are being stalled until work at the pier is at a point of no return. The attorney general investigation will yield the fruit that they've been holding back. The Coast Guard PASA, which has been delayed, will be released. That PASA, Ports and Waterways Safety Assessment, shows increased risk of collision between nuclear subs, chemical tankers, other users of the port, 
that will be caused by the Connecticut Port Authority's redevelopment. State Pier will become a hub for the offshore wind industry, but has courted controversy from the outset for its continued escalating costs from an initial $93 million to a recently and newly estimated $250 million. Young people in the U.S. were incarcerated in juvenile facilities 240,000 times in 2019. That's according to a new report, and current methods significantly underrepresent how many are in detention. Emily Scott from the Connecticut News Service has more on this story. Youth incarceration data is typically measured through a one-day count in late October. The Sentencing Project report estimates at least 80% of the young people incarcerated are excluded from the count, most prevalent for youth who have been arrested and detained but have not had a court hearing. Report author Josh Rovner says getting the data right is critical, especially for youth of color disproportionately impacted by the juvenile justice system. Overwhelmingly, these are kids who are charged with low-level offenses. And so we are making all of ourselves less safe because kids who are in these facilities are more likely to get arrested again, having been detained the first time. In 2019, there were 379 pre-trial admissions of young people in Connecticut, according to state data, a 49 percent decrease from 2020. I'm Emily Scott. An offer of almost $4.6 million by the nonprofit Pathfinders to buy and save Deer Lake Scout Reservation in Killingworth from being developed has been rejected by the Connecticut Yankee Council owners of the land. Tom Langevin is from Pathfinders and says he's disappointed but not surprised by the council's decision. Our intention is to go back and look at our options. It's a difficult thing to raise some money that we need to raise to meet both the pulling in of the delayed payments that we had as part of our offer and also to raise it to attract the scouts' attention. Raw land, which is essentially what this was appraised as, is more or less the similar value as to what it was before. And we have three differing opinions. We have the scouts' appraisal that they got as part part of the the bankruptcy. We have the TPL appraisal and we have the property card in the town of Killingworth and all three have have different numbers. Langevin says the council rejected their offer citing they wanted more money and for any winning offer to be made available in full and not in installments as offered by the Pathfinders bid. Richard Blumenthal, a vocal advocate for saving Deer Lake, released a statement condemning the decision, saying, quote, This shocking decision by the Connecticut Yankee Boy Scout Council is antithetical to the mission of the Boy Scouts, close quotes. Pathfinders Board of Directors have agreed to put forward a second bid for the land, but need more money to do that before the May 1st deadline. They estimate they need about $1.8 million to help finance delayed payments, costs that will be incurred by the Yankee Council if they break off their agreed bid from a private developer, and money to raise their previous bid price by around 7%, which would put their new bid close to around $5 million. A previous deadline of March 31st was extended by the Yankee Council, owners of Deer Lake, after the Attorney General's office opened an investigation into Deer Lake and its legal status for sale due to tax-free donations the council received for a bird sanctuary on the property, which opponents of the sale argue could mean the land must stay available for open use rather than being developed. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, Middletown Mayor Ben Florsheim said in a public address recently that he could not support the Board of Education's proposed budget increase and called for an independent audit of the Board's financial practices. Florsheim's comments were in response to a vote on Thursday by the Board to increase the district budget by 6% or $5.5 million. 
Acting Superintendent Alberto Vasquez Matos told members of the Common Council and the Board of Education that the budget included funding for mental health care, including a full-time social worker in every school and an expansion of the ICM pre-K and ICM kindergarten programmes to accommodate a growing number of special education students in the district. Vasquez Matos said that 4.5% of the 6% increase was budgeted for salary increases for staff. Vasquez Matos said that they were not competitive in recruiting and retaining highly qualified staff from teachers to paras and others and so needed to find a way to really invest. But Florsheim pointed out that those claims directly contradicted previous assurances by the district regarding staff issues. Florsheim said the board and administration had repeatedly denied any staff retention issues exist in Middletown. And in the Chronicle this week, a flyer being distributed in Hampton on the proposal to merge its elementary school with Scotland's is raising concerns not only about the proposal but about one of the committee members working on it. The two towns formed an ad hoc committee for inter-district educational cost sharing in 2020, which includes two subcommittees collecting data on respectively the finances and governance of a shared elementary school. Combining the schools is projected to save both towns money and although final projections are not yet available, an estimated one point. 7 million in savings is expected by eliminating duplicate positions. One of the members of the ad hoc committee who also chairs the programming subcommittee is Hampton resident Rose Bison. Bison is also currently the chairperson of the Hampton Board of Education. That's all from this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.